0: Amen. Praise the Lord for our wonderful King and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we learn more about Him in this new year, about truly becoming what a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ means, um, I'm excited to continue on with this thought as we continue to examine the mission of of our church and the mission of our church is just simply put to make disciples of jesus christ we have endeavored to get started this morning in the sunday school hour with the foundations lessons on not just giving information that really truthfully most of the people that come to the sunday school hour these first several weeks especially are going to know most of the information that's given that's not entirely the point it's not to just give information but it's to equip the church to share that information with others, uh, to teach us and train us that we might disseminate that knowledge and what Jesus has done in our lives into theirs, and so. As we look at our mission and we uh, have understood last week really the concept in the Sunday school hour of what a mission is, uh, then we begin what is a disciple. And so we looked last week at, uh, at what is a disciple. And we're going to continue with that thought this morning. Uh, but simply put, a disciple is a student. It is one who dis- disciplines himself in the teaching and the practices of another. Now that's a very simple definition, uh, and we're not going to overcomplicate it and re-preach last week's message, but, uh, we examined last week these three basic concepts of what a disciple is. And we said this, that first a disciple is a listener. If I'm not willing to listen, I cannot learn. Uh, I have to be willing to quiet my heart, to quiet my mind, and to cast aside my own prejudices or preconceived ideas about a particular doctrine, a particular passage of Scripture, a particular tradition, and be open to the truth of what saith the Scripture. Uh, to be quite frank this morning, uh, what what I have learned over the years, that I have, have believed the Bible to say a lot of things that were taught in churches that I attended, that the Bible really didn't actually say. They weren't always bad things, but sometimes they were things that were either watered down or they were oversimplified or uh, they simply were the wrong things biblically were emphasized. And so our endeavor, my endeavor in life is to examine what say the scripture. What does the Bible say? Because outside of what the word of God tells us as the Holy Spirit guides us through it, Uh, Really, the other parts of it are, are, however deeply entrenched they may be, uh, are just the traditions of men. And so I want to be wise enough and be willing enough to open my heart to God, to His Holy Spirit as He leads me. And that requires me silencing uh, all of those things and just looking objectively with a fresh look at the Bible, what saith the Scripture. And that's the way that we try to approach things, it's the way that I try to approach, pra- approach passages as I prepare sermons. I want to learn to be uh, a listener. We also stated last week that a listener then becomes a learner. So if I would be a true disciple of Jesus, I must first listen. And as I learn to listen, then I begin to learn. I begin to learn the information. I begin to learn about who Jesus is. I begin to learn uh, as just as importantly about how did Jesus do ministry? We do ministry the way the churches before us have done ministry, but we're commanded to to do ministry the way that Jesus did ministry. Uh, And that's what we're examining here. We also stated that a disciple is a liver, a liver out of that which has been learned. And so if I can listen and then learn, but I never live that which I have been taught, then I'm not a true disciple of Christ. Uh, And I know that semantically we can get into all kinds of arguments about if you trust Jesus and you're his disciple, I'm talking about A true, dedicated, committed, Bible-believing, intentionally becoming a disciple of Jesus. Not the casual crowd that followed him from miracle place to miracle place, but those that stood with him, those that carried on his work after he ascended into heaven. So we can say it this way. A disciple seeks to learn embracing the teaching and implementing that which is learned thus becoming a version of his teacher now I ask you this morning is that not biblically what Christians are supposed to be a version of our teacher are we not supposed to become jesus the the Christians, the church were called Christians first at Antioch. It was given in a derogatory term, as it uses a derogatory term, uh, that they then embraced because though others tried to mock their following of Jesus, the following of Jesus is what we are supposed to be all about. And so as we continue to look at Jesus' process, he reveals to us what we should be becoming. Now, we should be becoming more like Jesus each and every day. That's what God has put in our heart to do. That's why the Holy Spirit indwells us. And that's what's going to bring honor and glory to God. Our text records for us the call of Jesus upon Andrew, Peter, James, and John. And we're going to look at this. And I think that uh, sometimes we have in our mind that uh, that Jesus uh, went and was baptized, and then, uh, and then they met him for the first time, and then uh, they, his call was on their life. And that's just simply not the case. And we're going to look at that timeline uh, a little bit this morning. And so as we see them as they're called, what we see is that in his call, he tells them from the very beginning the purpose for which He has placed in His call upon their life. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is an early statement of what he tells us in the Great Commission and reiterates to the church at his ascension in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We are to go and we are to preach the gospel. We are to be baptizing and then teaching others to grow in the admonition of the Lord uh, so that they might go out and tell others also. We're good at going. We're good at sharing the gospel. We're good at baptizing and somehow the church has forgot bringing people along to a spiritual mature state of Christianity. And that's what Jesus has called us to do. And he tells them that here from the very beginning, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. It's the exact same thing that he tells them. He lays the groundwork. We see uh, not only did Jesus tell them in verse number 19, and we're gonna look at this more closely in a moment, that he would make them fishers of men, but we see in verse 20 and verse 22, their immediate commitment to the call. It was not a casual, oh, well, we'll go and try this for a while. When Jesus said, follow me, they left their careers behind. They left family behind and immediately they followed Jesus. They went where Jesus went. They did what Jesus did. Uh, And they listened and were taught uh, and came into a fellowship or a communion with Jesus that was close and personal that began immediately. And so we see that they are with him and they get right to work uh, beginning in verse number 23. So they're there. So there is the call, there is the commitment, and there is the communion of one's relationship with Jesus Christ as he grows us and he develops us uh, through this life. Now, what we see here is that they did not enter into this relationship lightly. A true relationship with a a disciple. Lee, to his disciple or the, the one that we are following Jesus in particular in our case uh, is a strong commitment it is a binding commitment I'm reading a book now uh, by about discipleship by a man named Reggie Campbell he's not a, a minister full-time he's actually a secular businessman uh, and but for the last 15 years he has discipled one group of men per year he and and they didn't they don't choose him They don't come to him and say, hey, would, can we be included in your next group? He prays and he handpicks about eight to 10 men, and they meet together on a weekly basis for a year, and his goal is to, to share with them how God worked in his life and developed them, and before they can even begin the process with him, he calls he requires them to sign a, a, a contract, if you will, a commitment, that once they finish this program, that they will continue to live it, and they agree from the outset that they will then take at least one other group of men within a certain period of of time through the same process. That's essentially what Jesus does here. He says to them, Hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then what do we see them do later on? They're the ones after his ascension that go out and make fishers of men. That's what Jesus has led us to do. That's what Jesus has demonstrated for us to be doing. And that's what we as a church in this new year are are trying to settle on and focus on uh, as we carry on what God has called us uh, to do. So they did not enter into the relationship lightly. Andrew and Peter, if you look at them, were disciples at least on some level already of John the Baptist. So they were already interested. They were already uh, had spiritual inclination in their life. They did not have all the answers. If you'll look with me at John chapter 1, and we're going to look at all four of the gospel accounts of they're calling and we may not we don't have time to read all of the verses, but we're going to look briefly at some things or some things here that I want you to see uh, about the timeline. But in John chapter number one and verse thirty five, and we will read this section here again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So these two disciples of John now follow Jesus. And so they're transferring, they're searching. They are not fully committed to John, but on some level they're following him. And looking upon Jesus as he walks, saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and uh, and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, be an interpreted master, where dwellest thou? he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And so we see in John's account... How they're there, they're, they are witness to John the Baptist, they are at least on some level following him, but Jesus now is baptized, and as Jesus retires to his encampment, they follow him, they're hungering, they're searching, they're seeking, but Jesus has not yet called them. Now I want you to turn back and look with me at Mark chapter number one. At Mark chapter number one, uh, as we <clears throat> as we look here, we're going to come back to our text in Matthew uh, in just a moment. But in Mark chapter number one, in verses uh, 19 and 20, and I want you to notice, Mark chapter one begins the very first verses with the ministry of John the Baptist. Okay, so many of you will have headings on top of different sections or different paragraphs of your text here. So notice in in verse uh, number one here, uh, the ministry of John the Baptist is, uh, is taking place. In verses nine, 10, and 11, we see the baptism of Jesus. Okay, So as we look there, and for sake of time this morning, we can't read every one of these verses, but jot it down in your notes and go back and examine what I'm showing you now. In verse 12, we see that immediately after the baptism of Jesus is the temptation of Jesus. We know that the temptation of Satan was 40 days. We know that after that temptation that Jesus came back to Galilee. So there's a period of a minimum of 40 days and perhaps as much as 60 days between the baptism of Jesus and the call of of these first disciples. And so as we look and we consider, and you see his first Galilean ministry, uh, and then in verse 16, uh, he calls Peter and Andrew. And again in verse 17, it says, And now as he walked, in verse 16, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him now I want you to turn and look at Luke chapter number 3 in Mark and Luke chapter number 3 And what we see here again, in the first verse of chapter 3, the ministry of John the Baptist. And so we see then, as we hit the ministry of John the Baptist, then in verse 21, 22, we have the baptism of Jesus. Then we see the genealogy of Mary, the mother of Jesus, given. Uh, And then uh, we see that uh, the temptation of Jesus happens at the beginning of chapter 4. So in Luke chapter 4, again, uh, John the Baptist's ministry is underway. Jesus comes and is baptized. Then Jesus is led by by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted he's not yet called these men but they clearly as according to the text in John have interacted with him they have met him they have learned some things with him they've sat in at his encampment uh, and dealt with him then we see in verse in, in Luke chapter 4 uh, after the temptation uh, in verse 14 that Jesus returned into the power of in the power of the spirit into Galilee and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region about and he taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. So then we see him at the synagogue in Nazareth uh, as we move forward, uh, and then we see him healing Peter's, uh, mother, his, Peter's mother-in-law uh, at the end of chapter number four, then in chapter five. Notice in chapter five in verses, uh, in verses two through eleven, and saw two ships standing by the lake, and but but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. Uh, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he saith unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered, saying unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the Net. And when they had this done, uh, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break, uh, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, and that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to seek. And when, Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord, for he was astonished and all that were with him at the draw of the fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So there's a process here. And as we look at the example of Jesus and how Jesus is our example in all things, we see him come. We see him fulfilling the will of God for his life. He comes to begin his ministry. He is baptized by John. He has an early interaction with Andrew and then with Peter as he brings Peter to him. Uh, They're convinced that he's the Messiah, at least at this point, on some level. Jesus goes out and is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, is tempted of Satan for 40 days, uh, comes back, begins ministering, and then as he comes to the Sea of Galilee, and in our text in Matthew, it lists several areas where people have gathered and come. Decapolis is just to the south of the Sea of Galilee. It's 10 communities that are formed around there in that Roman province of Decapolis, uh, and he's there as they're laboring. They're still on their job. They're still on their task. They're still in their profession, and Jesus looks at them now, after John's been imprisoned, uh, and as uh, as he's beginning his ministry, and says, "Hey, if you'll come after me, I will make you fishers of men." So there's a lot that's taken place from the time that Jesus meets them as he observes them, as he's looking and preparing to select his disciples. Now, I understand that Jesus knows everything. He knew who they were going to be from the foundations of the earth and before. Uh, we, We understand that. But as our example, he's demonstrating to us, hey, don't enter lightly into relationships that are redemptive to bring people to Christ. Let me lead you. Be in prayer. Let God guide you and look for those who are searching for truth. Listen, we don't have life is too short to waste trying to force uh, the truth down someone's throat that's not interested to it. Let the Spirit of God lead us and guide us to that person who is searching, who is seeking, who is longing for truth. And as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, we then can enter into a relationship which is redemptive for the purpose of bringing them to Christ, to learn of Christ, to be developed in Christ that they in turn might lead others to Christ. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be. That's how Jesus builds his church. You remember as we look last week that we are nowhere in the scripture commanded to do great things for God. We are nowhere in the scripture commanded to be the builders of churches. Jesus said, I will build my church. Amen. We are simply to live for him, to glorify him and to do ministry as he did ministry. And as we do and he blesses, his church will be built we look and understand that uh, I must learn what a true disciple is if I am ever going to get to a place in my life where I can lead someone else into a discipleship relationship with Jesus. And so as we consider that thought this morning, as we've looked at the timeline now of Jesus calling their life back in Matthew uh, in chapter 4 in our text, we see in verse number 19, uh, and, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We see, first of all, this morning, that the disciples are called for a purpose. They are not called randomly. They are not called for convenience sake. They are not called because Jesus was going to be here for three and a half years and didn't want to go through life alone and didn't have anything better to do. He called them for a purpose. And my friends, this morning, if you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, there is a purpose for your life. There is a purpose for what God has allowed in your life. There is a purpose for what God is doing in your life. There is a purpose for the people that God puts across the path of your life. There is a purpose in everything that God does and that Jesus is doing. There is a purpose. Well, Pastor, what is that purpose? Well, I think that we see here in verse 19 that the purpose starts with my being transformed. I cannot be effective in my walk with God until he changes who I was. Until he molds me into his image. Notice what he says in verse 19. Follow me and I will make you. I'm not here this morning to make you anything. I'm not here this morning to make myself anything. I'm not against kind of the self-help book thing and, uh, and being introspective and looking at things. But the reality is, is that I can't change myself. Only God can change me. And we see people come in all the time to all types of different ministries, to all types of different things, thinking, hey, if I just get here and if I just become a part of this program, then it's going to change my life. No, it is not. It might modify your behavior for a time, but it's not going to change fundamentally who you are. Only the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God can do that in our hearts. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. See, I can't be made until I follow. I can't come and be, have him be in my heart and be uh, forming me into his image until I'm willing to listen and to learn and then to live what he has shared in my heart. If I will follow him, if I will commit to it, then he can make me. Secondly, we see this morning that not only are disciples called for the purpose of being transformed, but they are called for the purpose of transforming others. So, Pastor, that's a contradictory statement. You just said that we can't be transformed, but we're called to transform others. Well, we all understand this morning that the, that is the work of God that actually changes. But we also understand that God uses people and works through people to disseminate his message to people and to reveal himself through me to you or you to someone else. That's the design of God. So we are saved, we are redeemed, we are changed, we are molded into the image of Christ for the purpose of then molding and having him mold in our lives someone else for the glory of God. It is Jesus coming and it is me yielding to him so that he looks at me and says, hey, if you will let me, uh, I will change others through you the way that I changed you. That's his plan. That's what God wants to be busy doing in our hearts. And so we see this morning that disciples are called, not randomly, but for a purpose. They're not chosen uh, just uh, at at, at a whim. They are chosen and selected carefully. And I would challenge you, as you begin to seek out and ask the Lord to lead you into redemptive relationships with co-workers and family members and uh, waiters and waitresses and neighbors and whoever God puts in your path, that you don't just go and latch on to someone that you can get to stand still for 30 seconds, but that That you will pray and actively seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit to guide you to that one who is hungering for truth. That a true genuine relationship might be transmitted from you to them in Christ. And then enter into teaching and training them the truths of the scripture. And so we look here and we see that disciples are called for a purpose. A purpose first of allowing God to transform me. And then the purpose of allowing God to use my life to transform the lives of others. To live genuinely, to live intentionally, to live in a way that causes Jesus to be lifted up so that all men are lifted, uh, drawn unto him. And that's our job this morning. A Christian who is committed to the process of being a disciple of Christ is doing nothing more than lifting Jesus up. I am not trying to lift up self. You are not trying to lift up self. We simply lift up Jesus. And when you shine a light in the darkness, everyone's attention is drawn to that light. So we look and we see, first of all, the disciple is called for a purpose. Secondly, consider here that that a disciple must choose to commit to the purpose. Jesus said, follow me. They had a choice to make. They were not forced to follow after him. He came to them and he said, hey, follow me. And notice their response, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. They already knew that Jesus was real. They already understood from the time that they met him at his baptism, at least Andrew did, that this is the Messiah, the Son of God. They were hungering. They were thirsting for truth. They wanted to be a part of something that was valuable, that was eternal, that was honoring God, that was transformative, that was life-changing. They desired to be a part, but not just them. Their co-workers had caught on too. Apparently, they had been communing. They had been talking about what they had experienced out at John the Baptist's encampment. And what they had heard as Jesus was tempted and then came back and began to teach and began to minister and began to heal uh, heal, uh, and began to Uh, See what Jesus is doing, because when he comes to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they're with their father, mending their nets and says, follow me. Immediately they left their father and their livelihood and they followed him. There is no uh, guarantee of of a, a wage. There's no guarantee of provision. There's just no promise of anything other than if you will follow me, I will make you. And he told them what he would make them into. They left. They were ready. They were understanding that what we have here, though our life might be honorable, though our life might be good, our life is of no eternal value. We want to be a part of something that's more. Disciples must choose to commit to the purpose to which they're called. What is that commitment? I think that we see here first that they were committed to Jesus. They were committed to their teacher. We must be committed to the Lord. We must be committed to what God wants to do in our life. I ask you this morning, how committed are you really to Jesus? How committed is your personal life to a relationship with Christ? How much time did you spend with him this week? How much effort did you put into learning about him this week? How much was was the the Interaction with other people was the thought that their soul was eternal that would spend eternity in either heaven or hell on your heart this week. This is not just basic, typical, independent, fundamental Baptist soul winning messaging. This is a fundamental shake in the way that we live our lives so that we live as Jesus lives so that he can work in our heart the way that he would have us that he would wants to work in our lives. How is that going to happen? It cannot happen if I will not commit myself to him. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I'm content to just come to church on Sunday morning. I'm content to just be casual in my Christian life. I'm content. I, I'm, I think I'm fine. Well, that you're missing out, but that's your decision. And I'll love you and I'll pastor you and I'll, uh, I'll try to be there for you whenever you need me as best that I can. Uh, that, that's not going to hinder anything. I just hate it for you because you're missing out on the very best that God has for you. You're missing out on the opportunity for God to use your life to impact eternity. And we must be committed to Jesus, but not only must we be committed to the teacher, he says, follow me, commit to me, come after me. Just forget about it. Just leave it. You must pick up your cross. You must leave father and mother behind. You must leave brother and sister behind. You must leave career and livelihood behind. And you must pick up your cross and follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Live as I live. I must be committed to my teacher. Not only must I commit to the teacher, but I believe that we see that we must be committed to the truth. They're one and the same, by the way, in our instance. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. So when he says, Follow me, he's saying, Follow me, your prophet, your priest, and your king. He's saying, Follow me, I am truth. Listen, I'm not up here projecting or promoting that we leave behind uh, what we would like to do with life and just chase after uh, some fantasy that's written in some random book. What I'm promoting this morning is that we understand fundamentally that Jesus Christ is the living God of this universe who has sacrificed himself on Calvary's cross to redeem my soul unto my father in heaven. And he has a purpose for my life. And because he created me and because he redeemed me, I have an obligation to follow him it's not about me it's not about you it's not about our comfort it's not about uh, whether we uh, are, are financially well off it is about am i doing what jesus told me to do am i committed to the teacher and am i committed to the truth that he shared that he brought truth nothing else matters nothing matters but the truth thirdly we see this morning the disciples must commune with their prophet priest and king See, we are called, and then we must commit. But upon that commitment, we begin a communion with him. Amen. We have to enter into a relationship with him. We have to be close to him. You understand that the, there was a crowd that are referred to as disciples that randomly went to big event to big event from place to place, much like we saw Andrew going after John the Baptist in John chapter number one. But what we are talking about here is a true close personal, interdependent discipleship of communion with Jesus. They went where he went. They slept where he slept. They ate where he ate. They were party to the ministry that he took in. They served when they were told to serve. They picked up uh, scraps when they were told to pick up scraps. They went out and they healed and they cast out demons when they were sent to do what he when he sent them to do those types of things. Listen, they communed with their prophet. He is our prophet this morning, but he's more than a prophet. He's our priest and king. He is worthy of our sacrifice. He is worthy of our service. Uh, And what we see here, two primary things this morning. First, we see that they were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. Notice in the text, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And guess where they were? Right there with them. They left and they followed him. And I'm just saying this morning that I must intentionally make a decision that I would commune with Jesus. That I must be with him where he is. I Listen, the Holy Spirit indwells me. Uh, he is not indwelling me so that he can go where I go, but so that he can lead me to go where he goes. We see secondly here, not only that they were with Jesus, but that they were engaged with Jesus. They were engaged, I think, in four primary ways, and we don't have time to, to run this. We'll develop this more in the weeks to come. But we see four things here that I would like for you to just kind of jot down and, uh, and dwell on. They were engaged with Jesus, first of all, in conversation. You, you cannot spend time with someone and never have any conversation with them, there was dialogue. They didn't just follow him from behind and whisper and sneer and uh, and and wait for him to bark a command. I, I don't see that relationship with them at all. I see a very close, personal, uh, friendly, uh, communing. A lot of back and forth. A lot of asking of questions. A lot of giving of answers. A lot of uh, sharing what the vision of the future was and how uh, he was going to use them. And we see that all throughout the Gospels. I mean, everywhere that you look, you see Jesus with them, and nowhere is he ignoring the men that he's with. So we see uh, that they're they're engaged with Jesus in conversation, but we also see, and we see here, that they're engaged with Jesus in labor. We see it at the feeding of the 5,000, of the 4,000. We see it at other places throughout the Scripture. When Jesus is is laboring to serve those around him, his disciples are there laboring along his side. And we cannot be a disciple of Christ and never do anything in, in labor with him. Not only do we see that they're engaged in conversation and that they're laboring, but thirdly, we see that they're uh, they're in the classroom. They're in his classroom. How many times as you read through the Gospels? And you see him pulling them aside from the crowd, from the bigger group of disciples and pulling aside just him and the 12 and going to a private place so that he can sit down and he can instruct them and he can rest with them. And so that he can fellowship with them and feed them and pray with them and encourage them. They're in the classroom. Are you in the classroom of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Are you in labor with Jesus Christ this morning? Are you communing in conversation with Jesus this morning? We see, fourthly, that oftentimes that they pull apart and they're in prayer. So a true disciple who is communing with their prophet, priest, and king will be communing by way of conversation, by their labor together, uh, in the work that needs to be done in the classroom, learning what he has to teach them, and in prayer as they seek the guidance, protection, leadership, and provision of their Father in heaven. (coughs) So we've seen this morning, first of all, the disciples are called for a purpose. We've seen, secondly, the disciples must choose to commit to that purpose. We've seen, thirdly, that disciples must commune with their prophet, priest, and king. And then lastly this morning, consider the disciples must carry out the purpose to which they are called. We have not, listen, Jesus did not invest three and a half years in these men so that upon his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, they could just go back to fishing. So that they could just go back to tax collecting. So that they could just go back to doing whatever it is that they did before he put his call on them and before he invested his life in them. He called them that they might live out those things which he taught them. That they might, for a lifetime, live out the call that He placed upon their life. That He might take that which He's imparted to them, and that He's invested in them, and that He's taught them in, and encouraged them in, and rebuked them in, and developed them in, so that they could just say, "Okay, He's died. He's resurrected. He's ascended. Whew! I'm glad that's over with. Now I can retire and go back to go back to what I did before. And it was just the beginning." My friends, whenever Jesus Christ came into our heart, came into our life and began to to save our soul and then began to develop us and to grow us and to lead us, He did so with a purpose that we should choose to commit to so that we enter into fellowship and close communion with Him that we might carry out or live out that which He has put in us. That's the purpose of the church. That's the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's the fulfillment of his call. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Disciples must carry out the purpose to which they are called. Two thoughts here. First, I must determine that I'm going to stay committed to the call. You see them struggle with this throughout their ministry. They struggle with this whenever Jesus is arrested and crucified. When Jesus is arrested, they scatter. After the crucifixion, they're back fishing. They're struggling with... What do we do? Jesus came to them. He ministered to them. He brought them back. He uh, redeemed them. He recovered them. And he put them in a chamber. And they learned to pray. And they gathered together. And he revealed himself to them in his resurrected state. And he uh, he taught them and spent uh, another 50 days with them after uh, the resurrection before he ascended into heaven to further train them and prepare them and show them and share with them what they would do. And then they waited there, just hunkered down and holding on until the Holy Spirit showed up 10 days after that. An investment. Of a lifetime, they had to stay committed to the call. I'm just telling you this morning that when you give your heart to Christ, when you when you hook in with Him, when you long for Him, when you labor with Him, when you become a part of this process, do not expect for a moment that it's always just going to be easy. That there aren't going to be bumps in the road. That there aren't going to be challenges. That there aren't going to be false attacks and accusations. That things are just going to. Uh, hey, I gave my heart to Christ, and so all my troubles are over. No, we must stay committed. Commitment is necessary because things aren't easy. I don't have to make a commitment to do that which is easy to do. I make a commitment to do things because they get difficult sometimes. Listen, life is hard, challenges are abundant. I must stay committed to the call. Uh, You know, I've known pastors that have said, uh, and Brother Klein could tell you, there's a pastor that was about a mile from me our church in Arkansas. His church was just a mile up the road. And he would tell uh, people frequently that he wanted to resign on every Monday. I praise the Lord that I don't feel like that on Mondays. (laughs) At least not on most Mondays. (laughs) But I'm just saying, sometimes things just get difficult. Sometimes life is complicated. Sometimes people's problems and burdens are complicated. Sometimes that person that you've invested much in will turn on you, will not stay committed. You have to deal with the discouragement. You have to deal with the feelings of, hey, I've wasted a year or two or three or five. But the reality is, is that nothing that's done in the name of Christ and through his leadership and guidance is wasted. Disciples must carry out their purpose. We must stay committed to the call. We must stay focused, secondly, on divine priorities. Are you focused this morning on personal priorities or divine priorities? What guides my life? What governs my life? Am I, am I driven? Am I guided? Does my decision-making factor in uh, what Jesus has called me to do? See, Jesus did not call us to go out and knock on doors or to canvas or to reach out into the community uh, from 10 or 10.30 until noon on Saturdays. He called us to reach people everywhere that we go, every time we go somewhere. And the truth of the Christian life and the reality of the Christian life is it's wonderful to have a designated time and a scheduled time to go out and try to reach out. But the reality is, is that a true disciple of Christ is looking for opportunity everywhere that we go every time that we leave our homes. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that sometimes. Sometimes the absurdity of, uh, of society gets the better of me. Sometimes, you know, people doing just kind of dumb things agitates me. I'm sure that sometimes when I do dumb things, it agitates other people too. And sometimes I let those things and those emotions kind of overtake the reason that I'm here the purpose that I have to fulfill with my life, the 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 call that God has placed on my life, not because He called me to be a pastor, but because He made me His child. I want you to consider this morning that we have to understand that disciples are called for a purpose, that we must commit to the purpose, that we must commune with our prophet, that we must carry out that purpose, but in order to do that, we must be walking closely with Him. So, Pastor, that's great, but I don't feel called. Consider closely some of the scriptures that we've gone over the last few weeks. Jesus speaking to the church, go ye into all the world. That call is not individual, that call is corporate. It is the mission, not just of Victory Baptist Church, but of every Bible-believing church, to share Jesus with the world. It is the mission of what God has called us to do. From the very first disciple that was called in the New Testament, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the only reason that we're here. Oh, but pastor, but we're created for the pleasure of Jesus. And we learned that in Sunday school this morning. We're we're created to bring glory to him, to lift him up. Right. You know what that accomplishes? Fruit. Catching of men. When I lift up Jesus, I catch some fish. When I glorify Him, I catch some fish. When I'm bringing pleasure to Him, I'm catching fish. Not not only am I catching them, but I'm cleaning them. I'm grooming them. I'm teaching them. I'm training them. I'm investing in them. And I would say this morning that all who have put their trust in Jesus are called to be His disciple. We must be committed communing carriers out of our Savior's plan because that's what He's called every Bible-believing Christian to do. This call, we cannot hide behind a, well, that's not what I'm good at. That's not, listen, what we are sharing with you and what we are disseminating to our church and what we are putting out there by way of making disciples is not something that causes you to go out and confrontationally go up to a total stranger and say, hey, if you die without Christ, you're going to go to hell. It is simply being kind and being compassionate and being led of the spirit to make a friendship, to develop the relationship so that an opportunity grows that we might sit down and share with them. Them our faith uh, as the Spirit leads. Uh, it is not something that if we do it the way that Jesus did it is always going to be intimidating when we enter in. It's something that Jesus is simply going to lead our lives to do. So pastor, what about whenever Jesus sent them out two by two? Well, praise the Lord He sent them out two by two. He did that one time. Maybe twice. That's recorded. I'm not against going out two by two. We went out two by two yesterday. But I'm just saying this morning, what about all the times that he went to someone's house and ate dinner? What about all the times in the synagogue? I mean, he had people that were ripping the roof off of the ceiling to get to him sometimes. What about the blind men that he went to on the way to the roadside? What about the cemeteries that he went to, the funerals that he broke up? What about the uh, you know, I, I've, I've, th- there aren't many of the demons that were cast out that were cast out of the middle of the church service. He was where they were. He wasn't always knocking on the door, but he was always where people were that had a need for him. And our responsibility and our job as his children and as his disciples is to be where those who need him are so that we can lift him up, so that they can see the light in the darkness, so that they will be drawn to him, so that we can impact their lives with his truth, so that they see in us someone who is genuine, someone who is real, not perfect, but empowered with the gospel, that life change might occur. It's the best way to share that, Pastor. Just share how Jesus changed your life. Just show them what you were before and how he's changed you. Just show them what a great, loving, wonderful God he is and choose this morning to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, he came to them and he said, follow me. And if you'll follow me, then I'll make you. But if they had not left the nets, if they had not left Zebedee, that would have been the end of the story. Don't let this morning be the end of the story for you. Don't allow the end of your, not relationship with Christ and salvation, but your relationship with him to be productive in your service of him and being used for him to end with you still on the boat. Get out of the boat. Let Jesus make you. And let's rejoice in what Christ accomplished as he builds his church.